welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And I'm telling you guys, like, I really wish we could have a slow week to just kind of like relax and catch up, but we just, it, it just doesn't stop. The news is nonstop. So this week, Buck and I are going to get into everything that happened, um, including the rip curl situation. Um, we're going to break some news about J-Bay. We've got some news about the, the Pipe Pro as well, about the sponsorship there. You know, it started out with Vistla and Florence, and now it's uh, Lexus. And yeah, so we're going to break that down. We also have a Jacob Wilcox profile and an Axel Lorenz interview on top of our big film release this week. It's Noah Dean's MASH. So Buck and I are going to break all that down. And then Stace is going to come on, and he and I are going to talk about the first round at Pipeline, or I guess the first two rounds at Pipeline that went down. It looks like we're going to have a little break in competition over the weekend so we want to talk about what we've seen thus far let's drop it mikey it is uh it's a common point of discussion on this program but we are in very different climates right now and i guess this is not great audio just because you can't see us but i am in a hood with something under it and you are shirtless this is something to address yes and we're both in the same hemisphere technically Ah, that's fucked up. You're way closer to the equator, but not close enough per Paul's story the other week. No, too not, close. No, not not far enough away. Sorry, you're right. You're right. Um, I got thinking about that with the WSL back on. I know that you you and Stace are going to come on later and give us a little mid-pipe breakdown. Um, but before we get there, any thoughts from the opening day? Uh, yeah. Thank you, Jackson Bunch. Oh, did you make a bunch of money on him? Did I make a bunch of money on him? Dude hundred dollars on a plus 400 bet oh my last four God. seconds he swings on a pipe bomb drops an eight and just directs were it you, straight into my pocket were you screaming i was screaming yeah it was actually kind of awkward because i was like um i was in a place where there were like a couple other people around and it was like very quiet and i had to have one of those like controlled screams where you like jump up and start screaming but then you realize you're gonna look like a lunatic and probably scare people so i had to like subdue it a little bit but um mm. yeah it was it was a big moment for the boy oh i yell i didn't have any money on that and i yelled too i mean anytime somebody gets a wave like that with five seconds left you're gonna make a noise of some form but if you're making a noise and uh a lot of money then i get it <laughs> So, yeah, Pipe, uh, the first day was was pretty darn good for me. Stace and I are going to get into that a little bit more. But in the meantime, we have honestly too many things to talk about. Like, I was, like, trying to cut things from this episode because there were just too many things going on in the surf world. But I think we're just going to have to rip through it. Oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. Premium premiere. Wow. I don't know what the prem word for Latin is, where that comes from, but big day for that. <laughs> Noah Dean's mash is here. We've been teasing this. This is the movie that he put out last year, which you could buy on Vimeo on demand for 15 Australian dollars, 10 USD. We bought it for our premium subscribers to enjoy, and you can now view it on the site. It's just fucked up. I mean, it's... What do you say about this? What do you say about the sections that he's hitting, the waves that he's surfing, the fact that he played half the music to it because he didn't have a mega budget to buy songs? It's it's just unique. It's cool. It's fucking great. It's like 45 minutes long, and it's uh, it makes me feel good about surfing, the state of surfing in general. I agree. And it's really, really cool to hear uh, Noah's rationale around the whole thing. So along with the film, we did an interview. This interview actually originally came out in December when we were in Hawaii and Ethan Davis went over and chatted with Noah about the film to, 
obviously talk about it and help Noah promote it on his Vimeo side, not knowing just yet that we were going to get it for premium. Um, but we reran the interview because it's really good. And Noah gets into how he's had to change the way that he thinks about like creating content like this because you know the the financial model is just different than it used to be and it's almost it's funny like as you get older you just kind of naturally become I think kind of like more with maturity comes conservatism to a certain degree and like pragmatism with money and he's like yeah I'd love to go out and just pay filmers out the ass and put films out for free for everybody to enjoy but it just doesn't make sense like I can't continue to like shell hundreds of thousands of dollars out he's got a mortgage yeah exactly the word mortgage it appears in this interview yeah and so um he's got horses to feed and we and like if you're a consumer like i get how yeah of course everything would be great if everything in the world was free but that's just not how it works and i think if you watch this film you'll understand like why it makes sense for one surfers to do different revenue models like this and two for us as consumers to invest in the things that we care about because if we're not investing in things like this they will just cease to occur like if noah dean can't find ways to make films not just like he probably isn't trying to like turn a profit on these things he's probably trying to break even realistically and that's a very very fair gambit so um whether you're supporting it through vimeo whether you're supporting it through being a premium member um thank you and i just hope that we can continue doing that because without films like this surfing wouldn't really feel like surfing Mm -hmm. and well said i mean we're talking about financial responsibility and I guess financial responsibility in 2024 is paying your mortgage, feeding your horse and consuming surf content. You know, you got to kind of bucket for all those things. So shout out to all our Prem members making this happen. Um, I love the little kind of interstitials here. Like he, he describes this film as just, it took him a year to make. It's been a year pretty much since he stopped working on Nasvid, which got 300,000 plays on YouTube and then ripped down because of, I think of that basement Jack song. Um, yeah. And that Which was the impetus behind yeah. his change in strategy, right? He's like, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to put all this work and all this money into something and just have it deleted from the internet. So he's like, I'm going to create my own music and um, and do it this way. And yeah, it's it's really rad to see. Mm-hmm. But I do like that he kind of describes it as like, this is this was maybe less calculated than Nasvid. He was just getting clips and decided like the interstitials are just him talking a bit his mom's talking Creed mctaggart's talking just his friends and family you get to learn more about noah through it which i thought is really nice sometimes like a transition is just a transition and it looks nice and it feels cool and whatever but this you actually really get more of a sense of who he is which i thought was really cool um his creed story about um, <laughs> noah blowing up in him when he, they were like 12 at uh on the gold coast is hilarious that you'll hear early on um and yeah i think it's a really nice piece of work he worked with james cates on this which i thought was interesting like he's worked with mikey mal for a while which is who he did nosvid with and i think it's interesting when you see surfers work with different filmmakers especially because you get just different feeling pieces of content so noah's awesome um one more thing i want to say is i feel like when he was first coming onto the scene he seemed like he was just doing the biggest airs ever and i was kind of like whoa this guy is really making airs taking them to the next level that's really just changed the slabs like i was getting way more excited about the the barrels he was getting than the airs he was doing he's still doing crazy airs don't get me wrong on that but i think that the waves that he's surfing now are just the most impressive element of this to me 
And I also think we're entering an era where I don't think you can be a free surfer just doing airs anymore. Like, I think you have to charge. I think every every surfer that's making films is going on fucking stupid waves. And I don't think you can really impress anybody anymore if you're just going out there doing tricks. I concur. And also, Noah's doing tricks on those scary waves as well. Like, he's hitting the biggest sections when he is doing airs. Um, and he's also, like, some of the parts of the waves that he was taking off on... Like, I don't even know how you have the eye to to see that, that that's even possible. Like, if you were to just watch that wave without a person on it, you just think, oh, there's no entry or like you'd go right when he's going left or whatever. Like, it's yeah, his um, his vision and his creativity and his just courage is really showing in this film. It's such a good watch. And um, we also are going to have a little snippet from the interview between Ethan Davis and Noah from Hawaii this December. Last time I filmed with Mikey for Nosvid, I spent a lot of money doing so many trips with like different people like Dave and Katie and yeah, and like that's not even like you know it's not just not saying that they're that they're expensive even I was just doing so much stuff trying to get it done and that's the only way to do it yeah but then you look back and you're like fuck I spent so much money like and it's like hard to weigh up what's worth what when you could just you could probably just get away with doing reels but i just don't want to do that <laughs> no. you know what i mean i just feel like this like cooks your soul a bit yeah yeah mm. but it's like you're kind of binning money but you're like fuck i kind of like like this is what i like doing though yeah so it's almost like in a way it's not yeah, if you were doing your job, you probably wouldn't be trying to make like fucking hour-long videos. You'd just probably just be doing some reels and yeah, <laughs> not blowing your every single bit of cash to pieces. But that's I don't know. That's what we all like doing. So yeah, I think like the like public response from all those videos, like Harry's one, for instance, like I have to show it twice because there's so many people there. Yeah. And Russ's one was like most people fucking screaming I've ever seen for a clip. And then I know the Epochi one, I was sick, but I couldn't go up there for that one or, or Sean's one. But I know that was fucking, they were all packed out to the brim as well, you know. So it's pretty kind of cool to see people still invested in the like whole surf movie thing. Like maybe more than ever. Like I, don't, I can't remember seeing that many people at prams, you know what I mean? No. Like, maybe, not like ever, but in a long time. Yeah. Like, since I was like 18, maybe, since like the strange rumblings or something, probably the last time I saw that many people at a pram. What happened to the Visla Florence Pipe Pro? You may remember... Late last year, I think it was about November, when John John announced on Instagram that him, through Florence, his company, and Visla and Yeti were going to sponsor the pipe event. It was pretty vague. If you reread what he said, it's not super specific. It's just, hey, I'm super psyched. Like, I've always loved this event, and now I'm happy to support it through Florence. I think I was not alone, or I think a lot of people interpreted that as, oh, shit, they're going to be a title sponsor. And that was never really meant to be the case. Visla and Florence 
we're just going to be the apparel sponsors, work together to be the apparel sponsor on this event. And that is still the case. You still see them all over the broadcast. You still see the merch. But I think people were confused about a month later when the WSL announced Lexus as the title sponsor to this event. So this story addresses that because, as we know, it's the Lexus Pipe Pro. There's a Lexus park there in the Ehukai Beach Park. And, uh, yeah, that's the simple answer to that question posed in the title. But what I tried to do with this story was go more into how CT sponsorships work in general, especially in 2024. Um, Times have changed a lot. If you look back at the 2012 ASB World Tour schedule, you had a Quick Pro, a Rip Curl Pro, a Billabong Pro, a Volcom Pro, another Billabong Pro, a Hurley Pro, a Quicksilver Pro again, an O'Neill Coldwater Classic, and another Billabong Pro. It was a full sweep of surf brands sponsoring the men's store. And then on the women's side, you had Roxy Pros and still some of the big brands sponsoring some of the women's CT events at that time, which was when the tours weren't synced up. Now, this year, we only have two endemic surf brands with title sponsorships to events. We have Hurley and Rip Girl. So this goes into what's happening and why that's happening, why we're seeing so many non-endemics with that title slot. And uh, yeah, it unpacks how that whole thing works. It's pretty nuanced, that world, I have to say, especially with some of the legacy brands that have like sponsored events for a while, I don't think it's as simple as there's one cost to title sponsor event. This is this. I mean, it, it costs the WSL different amounts of money to sponsor, to even run events in different parts of the world. Like we learned recently that J-Bay is one of the more expensive, costs around four mil to run. So this kind of goes into that whole wild world, Mikey. Anything that uh, you took away from it? I mean, it's complicated, but it's simple, right? Like the, the reason that we don't have surf brands headlining expensive CT events anymore is because people in Kansas no longer think that Quicksilver and Billabong are like the coolest thing you can buy. Like surfing in its heyday, everybody around the world was wearing this gear because it was the it thing, like surfing was hot. And if you see surfing trends right now, like in fashion trends and whatnot, it could very well be due for a resurgence. Like we're seeing Mm. like 90s and early 2000s stuff reviving. So there is hope, I suppose, that there could be a second wave. And actually we have a story being written right now by Ali Klinkenberg about how skateboarders seemingly think surfing is cool right now. And there are some people that are big in the skate world that are like leaning into surf culture and stuff. So um, there is hope, I suppose, for a revival of this. But as of now, yeah, all these companies that used to sponsor these events have gone through so many changes on the business side, mostly being bought and sold and, you know, going bankrupt in certain cases. Uh, Of course, Chapter 11 is a very commonly used term now in surfing and um yeah so it's just it's gone through a lot of changes it is interesting that hurley who was perceived perhaps a few years ago as sort of one of the first brands to sort of like sell its surfing image a bit and you know they dropped all those surfers blah 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 but they've really worked hard to like come back and and really get their image back as like a core surf brand and now they're one of just two surf brands that are the headline sponsor of ct events so good on you hurley for coming back um and yeah there's there's a lot to it so you should read the piece um buck did some really good investigation he talked to some good people inside of all these things and uh yeah it maybe explains why we're seeing lexus sponsor the pipe pro and not visla by florence although they are still sponsoring it they're just not the headliners yeah True, true. I think it'll be interesting to see how things shake up with Authentic. Like, Hurley got bought by Blue Star in 2019, and then obviously there's that gap with COVID for the tour to come back, and then there's that weird, awkward half kind of season. 
um, the first year back from COVID when there's still so many restrictions. And Hurley was never like, they have sponsored events in the past, like they did the lowers one for a while, but they didn't have like the same history that companies like Quicksilver and Billabong had with sponsoring events. Like those guys were so committed for so long. And so I wouldn't rule out that coming back. I think, I think, I mean, Authentic only bought it this year. So I think they're just still figuring things out before they chuck money at the WSL. One thing that's interesting is that when Quicksilver and Billabong merged, I mean, Quicksilver and Roxy could already negotiate with the WSL just sitting at the same table. They could say, hey, it's not just Quicksilver negotiating for Quicksilver events and Roxy for Roxy. It's them all negotiating for like a package of four events, which you can drive the price down that way. Um, now they're going to have more force than ever before. Once Billabong got in the mix, it was already that like, hey, now we're negotiating for six. And now like they could just pretty much sit at the table and be like, yo, let's talk. Um, and that is against the background of rumors suggesting that the CEO of Authentic and founder, Jamie Salter, had at least a mild interest in buying the WSL. So I think uh, some interesting things will happen on that front. Maybe he'll buy it. Maybe he'll sponsor some events, but maybe not. And the other thing I guess I want to call out too is there's different ways to sponsor CT events in that like when the WSL redid the schedule, they always knew Pipe was going to be there, right? And so you could assume that they went around shopping for a title sponsorship for the Pipe Pro. Lexus said, sure, we'll do that. Um, then there's other cases where like, I think GLAN was kind of like this and El Salvador is like this, where companies come forward with an idea of, Hey, like we think we could have a CT event here, El Salvador or GLAN, obviously WSL have been at GLAN before and El Salvador is a great wave. So they're open to it. You can't just say like, Hey, I want to have a CT event at some fucking shithole. Um, they're going to say no to that. But I think it is interesting that it's, there are cases when it seems they're, they're going out and trying to sell against events that are already locked in. And then other cases where if you have the right idea and it fits their schedule, you can essentially get one on the tour, which is pretty wild. Yep. So go give it a read. And um, you mentioned J-Bay before. There's not a CT event this year, but uh, there's some rumblings that something else might be going on. So let's go check it out. Rumor, J-Bay will host a Star Spangled specialty event in June. Oh, wow. Jeffrey's Bay in June. You know that ocean's waking up in the Southern Hemi. Mikey, there are two women who recently decided that they would not be competing on the 2024 World Surf League Championship Tour. Their names are Carissa Moore and Steph Gilmore. And can you confirm that we've at least heard whispers that they might be interested in a little Jeff specialty? Yeah. Well, okay. So as we know, CT surfers sign a contract at the beginning of each year stating that they will not compete in any events that are outside of the WSL's sanctioned umbrella. And that is a pretty big thing. Like there are a lot of events that go on, especially for people like that live in Hawaii, for instance, like there are other events that happen outside of the WSL that are like major uh, things you know, like you look at the Vance Pipe Masters, you look at the Backdoor Shootout, you look at the Eddy. Technically, CT surfers uh, wouldn't be able to compete in these. However, there are instances where the WSL basically allows the surfer to fill out a petition, um, sometimes pay a fee, and they will basically release them from that part of the contract. Or sometimes they're just feeling nice and they'll let them do it for free. Uh, interestingly, 
because Steph and Carissa are not going to be competing on the CT this year, presumably their contracts are waived. Um, although at the end of the day, it might not actually matter because it sounds like the WSL is going to have a hand in a specialty event down in J Bay. And I would imagine if you are two of the best regular footed women to ever surf, probably the two best regular footed women to ever surf, and you don't have to worry about competing on tour and you're thinking, hmm, where can I go around the world and get a really good right with not many people out? Uh, yeah, you're probably going to compete in this specialty event down in J Bay in the June. Wow. Look at that. Look at that. Better than, uh, is the Surf Ranch on the schedule this year? Hell no. Nice. Better than a specialty event there, which I'm not ruling out. Let's not rule that out. <laughs> that thing could surface. Um, but this is exciting. I think that everybody wants to see surfing at Jeffrey's Bay. It's great. I mean, we don't know too much yet, except that we know some dates. It's what, mid-June? You can read the story and get the exact dates. Well, Park Onaki as well, if we're talking about world champs, they are allegedly confirmed oh shit that's huge the arc got tom curran yeah. there that's gonna be sick and it's probably gonna be so fun to go to it too for whoever gets to go paul evans will probably go that'll be fun for yeah him. he'll have a nice time and you know the waves are gonna be good like anytime a non-ct event goes somewhere to like a ct location it's gonna like you saw what happened in france last year i would imagine the same exact thing is gonna happen in j bay mcgillivray is for sure skydiving in there will be a mcgillivray <laughs> skydiving event at this specialty thing i can almost guarantee that that's one thing i want to put out there i'm gonna stick by it we'll come back to it it's gonna happen so um we found out basically about this we obviously have some contacts in south africa in the j bay area um the locals are super excited about this they were devastated to lose the ct event it was such a big part of their year both kind of culturally and financially as well. And spearheading this whole thing is kind of the godmother of Jeffrey's Bay, Sharon Crack. Um, she is a South African woman who did some very impressive business back in the day. She was the one who got the Billabong license in South Africa um, during, I believe it was the 70s or 80s. And she turned a very good profit on that. She did a great job, like kind of integrating that into that country. And um, yeah, she's been up there at J Jeffrey's Bay every Ever since and uh yeah it's gonna be i mean we're gonna we're gonna know more soon i'm sure the wsl is gonna release some info as time goes on but it looks like there are gonna be some big names in it and like i said i assume they're going to score a hard road to the dream tour this story written by chris bins is in part the result of a sleepover it is a bit of a jacob wilcox profile and there is just a, a detail in the story which i feel like should have been celebrated a bit more personally that chris bins spent a night at the wilcox compound there in margaret river to just get more deeds get more of a feel for the family who he already knew well anyway but yeah a little sleepover mikey i love a little sleepover profile yeah so does Binzi. he was very excited about this um and it's funny because like Jacob Wilcox is someone that we've covered extensively on Stab. Like he obviously featured in Surf 100. He's been the subject of multiple Stab Edit of the Year entries. Um, he's been the subject of many interviews on the site, mainly talking about you know how he feels about 
having surfed all these incredible waves coming from such an incredible place and yet his real dream is to qualify for the tour and so how is he going to make that happen um, obviously he moved to the gold coast in the past year or two um, he worked on a different side of his surfing and it seems to have paid dividends he's now on the tour he's made it through the first round uh, so he's on to the round of 32 he's got a head-on-head matchup coming up in the next round whenever that runs and uh, yeah, Binzi did a great job with this profile. And my only thing that I don't like about Jacob is that there's nothing not to like about Jacob. Like he just sounds like a great kid. He came from a great family. And all we can really do is wish him the best. I just wish there was something that I could hate about him, but there's not. Mm, yeah, he is very, very hard to dislike. Humble. There's a detail in there about how he's been working at the DHD factory just while he's been living on the Gold Coast. And Jacob says that Darren's not giving him shifts anymore. Darren's pretty much saying, like, dude, you you are on the CT. You should just kind of surf and, like, focus on that. But he's like, I like doing it because it keeps me humble. <laughs> and so I just like envisioning that conversation. But it is one of those things where, like, how can you dislike somebody that's just qualified for the CT and still wants to, like, load up a van with boards and go deliver them to a shop? It's uh, it's really hard to dislike this person. So I'm not going to try at all. Um, I also want to call out this line. It, it comes up once in a Mick Fanning quote and once I think Jacob references it as well. Never heard it before, but that the the red dirt in WA rubs the fear out of you. Um, then there's another line in there about the Indian Ocean getting in your blood. There's just all these weird kind of just physiological references that I've never heard before. But hey, any... No rules when people are sleeping over with Binzi, huh? <laughs> it sounds like they've uh, been eating some, uh, what are those bars that sponsored us? Fringe. <laughs> fringe, yeah, they've been eating some fringe bars over in WA. <laughs> Shout out to them. Um, we've got a voice note here from Chris Binz to explain the piece a little bit more and a another note from another famous West Australian right after. <laughs> G'day crew, Chris Bins here to talk about my piece, Hard Road to the Dream Tour, which chronicles Jacob Wilcox's elongated 10-year run from uh, skinny little blonde grommet rip curl wild card to where he is now fully-fledged card-carrying member of the top 34, making his debut at the Pipe Pro this week. Uh, I was asked to write a big profile on Jacob for the local newspaper here in West Oz and thought I'd better do it right and go down and stay with the family for a couple of days and take a few notes. Also figured I'd better spin off something a little bit saltier for all you frothers out there. So here we are. Uh, the Wilcox clan, it's hard to fault them. His dad, Mix, big burly beefcake rugby player who was out surfing main break on a 9-0 the whole time I was staying with them. His mum, Em's a local nurse, super athletic, full of energy, uh, both really hardworking, you know, country folk. Uh, Jacob's granddad, his sister and his brother are all staying with us as well. And it was, um, yeah, just a picture of family bliss in their household looking out over Preveli and Narabup um, and the Indian Ocean shimmering away in the background. Um, yeah, it hasn't been the easiest road for Jacob. He's had a lot of near misses, but he'd be the first to say that um, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And he's a better surfer and a better human as a result of uh, the various, you know, last heat of the year results that have cost him. So here we are. He's uh, about to surf at Pipe. Had a good chat with his longtime sparring partner, Jack Robinson. Those two are only six months apart in age and literally grew up around the corner from each other. Jack's pretty pumped to have his mate uh, joining him at the highest ranks and hopefully we'll get to see them, you know, instead of surfing a state round at Big Rock, maybe it'll be a final in 
Tahiti or Fiji or, you know, maybe even this week in Hawaii. I had a good chat with Jacob's longtime Rip Curl teammate, Mick Fanning. And, uh, yeah, Taj Burrow was pretty quick to jump on record and talk about what a maniac uh, Jacob is up north in the desert as well. Um, We've all seen his crazy edits over the years. Now's our time to hopefully see him put it all together in a jersey. And I think we might hear a few words from Taj right now too. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think the road that he's gone is going to make him one hard motherfucker because (laughs) he's just... He's been through it. He's been through, you know, a lot of emotional up and downs and he knows what it takes to get what he wants. It's just putting your head down and fucking going for it and he's he's experienced that, you know, at a really gruelling level. Um, so it's going to feel amazing for him to be on the CT because now he's going to put his head down even harder, I think, and really go for it because he's got where he wanted to be but he's still going to be grinding hard, to, you know, to get, get more. Um, yeah, he's going to be hardened and he's going to be ready and obviously his skills are there for all conditions. You know, I'm such a huge fan of how he, he just fucking dominates and manhandles, you know, big, hefty pits. Obviously, being from here and going up north in the winters, he is one of the best. It's funny because, like, him and Jack are the, pre- the two best guys out at, out at Nartlu, um, in my opinion, and, and seeing those two take their skills to the tours is going to be so sick. Um, I bet Jack just can't wait to attack some of those bigger, you know, heavier waves, especially the lefts. Axel Lorenz on making five out of six Stabnard finals, European Shaper's image problem, and what we can learn with microscopes. Mikey, last week we talked about Chris Borst, not Borst, Borst, with his laser beam. Um, <laughs> this week we've got Axel with his microscope. I mean, I'm still getting around Peter Schroff with his fucking chainsaw, but <laughs> these shapers these days and all their instruments, it's hard to keep up. Yeah, and last week Borst is like this pro skater. It turns out that Axel Lorenz is a pro snowbro. I had no idea. He came from the snowboarding world. He didn't even surf till he was 21. Yeah, that's insane. The fact that he didn't surf till he's 21. I knew that he had snow background. I'd actually seen um friend of the program, shout out, Snowbro, Matt Crepel, uh, the the board that he made, that project that he basically, Axel and Matt worked on a board that could be ridden in both waves and snow. Interesting idea. It worked. Cool. Good for them. Very Snowbro-y, but we'll, we'll take it. We'll accept it. Um, and Matt is cool. He surfs, he surfed Jaws. He surfed Jaws. He made a film about that. So shout out to him. Snow bros, you know, I got your back. It's fucking snowing in Tahoe this week, isn't it folks? Um, anyway, Axel, cool. I want to talk about this image problem that's referenced in here. Mikey, do you see that around the world? Because what, what he's talking about is this idea within Europe. And I think it's not exclusive to Europe, but that, European surfers might have a feeling that the boards in California or Australia or Hawaii are just better than what's available here. Like they just, I think there's so much history in other places where surfing is still pretty new is what he's talking about that like, it's just almost this sneaky assumption that like, oh, well this board's great for a shaper from here, but surely, you know, a board from there is better. Have you think that's exclusive to Europe or have you seen that in other parts of the world? Oh, it's so interesting. I don't think it's exclusive to Europe. So I'm actually... I'm testing a few boards right now down in Costa Rica, and one of the boards was made down here by a major brand who happens to have a licensee 
down in Costa Rica. And part of the joyride actually breaks down how that model works and why that model works for all the people involved. And I will say, um, as with anything, like you can certainly like teach somebody to do something very well. You can give them, obviously, your board files. You can teach them all the, the tricks that you know. But there's always one guy like it's you know what i mean it's it's mayhem it's marcio zuvi um it used to be al merrick now i suppose it's brit merrick like there is always one guy who you you would have to imagine has a little bit of magic up their sleeve right and no matter how many people they teach and how long they spend doing that like there's a certain aspect of it that you can't quite um, transfer over to another person. You can probably get them to 90, 95%, and those boards are going to be really, really good, but they might not have that special sauce in them. So it's just a matter, like in Europe, right? It, I think it comes more down to the individual than the than the place. So Axel Lorenz clearly has the magic. He started shaping when he was in his 20s. Um, like you said, he, he worked in snowboarding. He started by building off little model surfboards that were like the size that were basically turned into keychains. And he clearly has like a really keen eye for design and for function. And as a result, he's competed in six Dab in the Darks. And as the title says, he's made five finals, which is technically the best finals um, advancement rate of any shaper that has ever been in it. He's never won it, but his final like make rate is really, really high. So yeah, long-winded way of saying, I think this is a perception that is felt around the world. But I think at the end of the day, a really good shaper in Costa Rica, in Europe, in California, in Australia, wherever is going to make magic surfboards. True, true. And I mean, one point raised in this article too is that Kolohe got a board, just lost into file to Pukas, where they, their licensee here in Europe, and Excel made a board for Kolohe that took him to the semis in the France event, which is his best result at the time. So I agree with you that there are people who are just really good at what they do, but I don't think you always know those people. I think there's still some shapers out there that are making incredible boards and just hammering files. Like There's some really good ghost shapers and factories out there. And um, also, there's really good shapers in Europe. Shout out, Axel. You're making great boards. Get the microscope out. <laughs> I mean, Kabianka lives there as well. He's obviously shaped all of Medina's boards over the years. Um, the list goes on. And yeah, to your point, like there are people all over, like, Axel Lorenz, his first stab in the dark was with Mick. Mick had no idea who he was. Uh, we just learned really about Chris Borst, thanks to Katie Simmers, and he's doing well in stab in the dark. And we also learned how crazy his, you know, uh, technique and everything is with building boards. And now the microscope thing for Axel Lorenz, for those wondering, coming from a snow background, um, he was saying if you look at the bottom of skis of really good skiers, they're actually not super flat. They all have little holes in them, like little cuts in them. And that's because it creates less friction if you have air on air rather than like snow directly on the platform of the ski. So he's saying that boards that are sanded really heavily are always going to go faster than boards that have a gloss finish. And I found that so interesting because when you grab a board that feels really like sanded and it's a little bit rough to your hand, like, I don't know, to me, that feels like it might go slower, but he knows the, the physics behind it all. So he's clearly figured something out. He's on to the final with Kolohe and uh, we're excited to see who joins him. Next episode of Stab in the Dark airs this coming Tuesday. That's February 6th uh, in the US and Kolohe's going to try some more boards. He's going to knock some out. He's going to send some to the final, and we'll be that much closer to picking a winner. We sure will. Hey, one more point on that. Uh, I hope we can go somewhere this, but on the like air 
under board thing. I saw a board over here not too long ago that was waiting for John John to arrive. That it was a Pizel file that was a carbon wrap vacuum sealed that deal with some cork involved and then a golf ball ish texture across the whole board. Um, I've seen that on fins before, but I've never seen it on a surfboard. And so that thing's just waiting for John to get here. So uh oh, um, I don't know if I w- will be able to follow up on it, but I hope I can because it was I'd never seen a surfboard like this before. It was so fucking light too. Um, and yeah, I, I, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see what happens with this thing. It's so funny. Like as far as we've come with surfboard design and construction and all these things, I feel like there's still so much more to be learned and so much to be gained. Like just using golf as an example, every single year they have balls that are going farther. Well, actually not anymore. Now (laughs) they've gotten the balls so good in golf that they're now going to start making them worse because the pros hit them so far. Imagine if we had to tune really? surfboards down because people were ripping so hard. Fucking hell, just make one that goes straight. For a <laughs> yeah, surfboard or a golf, I don't care. I just want to go straight <laughs> on anything. All right, let's talk about what's going on at Rip Curl. Whoa, big story this week. Uh, interesting story. I'm still trying to make sense out of the whole thing. But basically... It is very strange. It's very strange. It's very strange. Basically, Rip Curl shared an Instagram post with Sasha Jane Larson, the transgender longboarder from Western Australia, um, and people got very mad. The internet was fuming. Um, I think this was in part fueled by, like, Bethany Hamilton was with Rip Curl for a long time. We broke the news what, a month or two ago, that she and Rip Curl will be parting ways. And it's pretty recent, and Bethany has voiced uh, her position on transgender athletes in surfing. Uh, she's not for it, let's say. And so this became this weird, this went beyond surfing. Basically, this thing went like all these comments saying that this is fuck, this is bad, boycott Rip Curl, which... To be honest, folks, the politically correct word would be people caught rip curl. So uh, one thing there. But <laughs> but it became this huge thing that went beyond surfing. Like I saw a Daily Mail article about it. Basically, people got livid at rip curl for this post. They've worked with Sasha in the past. Um, people were saying stop replacing women, which you look at the women's CT this year. Rip curl sponsors more female surfers than any other brand. I don't. I didn't really get what all the hoopla was about, but it got a lot of the jimmies rustled about uh, Rip Curl doing a post. I mean, when I was at Quicksilver, they would work with some influencers sometimes that was like, why the fuck are we, like, we wouldn't post about it or nothing, but I'd see, like, them getting tagged and they'd be like, oh, this person gets some product and shit like that. And she's probably on this same thing. Like, it's, I don't know. I just thought it was so inoffensive. Like, what, what? what's going on here, Mikey? Well, okay. So, yeah, there's, like, a few layers to this, I think. First of all, People are conflating the Sasha post and Bethany leaving to an extent that is not realistic. So, yes, Bethany leaving had to do with her comments uh, regarding trans women in surfing. However, it was actually that, and this is the one thing that I suppose nobody's really reporting on, Rip Curl basically said, hey, Bethany, we need to see everything that you're going to post on social media before it goes live. 
And this was, as far as we understand it, Rip Curl told her that this is like standard across all our athletes, blah, blah, blah. Turns out it wasn't. They were just asking for her to do that because they were scared of the stuff that she was saying about transgender athletes and they didn't want it to reflect badly on the brand as their beliefs obviously are different from hers. So they left. They decided to split. It wasn't like Rip Curl just like straight cut her. Um, they decided to split because it didn't make sense for either of them. But now people are saying like, oh, they dropped Bethany and picked up Sasha instead. That's not exactly what happened. There is some semblance of truth to that, but it's not that straightforward. So then Rip Curl goes ahead. They continue on their path and they post this photo of Sasha. People obviously freak out. Then Rip Curl takes a really interesting step and they delete the photo and then they take a more interesting step and they double down and they make a statement about this because I guess they were facing so much backlash and they were terrified of becoming the next uh, Bud Light. Um, so they came out and said, our recent post has landed us in the divisive space around transgender participation in competitive sport. We want to promote surfing for everyone in a respectful way, but recognize we upset a lot of people with our post, and for that, we are sorry. To clarify, the surfer featured has not replaced anyone on the Rip Girl team and is not a sponsored athlete. Oh, like, I don't know, man. To me, it's like, if you're gonna do it, you gotta stick with it. Like, to then just, like, backtrack and say we're sorry for, like... You shouldn't be sorry for posting it. Like, if that is the way that you want to portray your brand and the way that you want to portray surfing, like, that's awesome. And people are going to have whatever reaction they're going to to it. You know, like, this is a divisive issue on many levels, political, religious, um, all these different things. But to backtrack and basically, like, cavort to the, to the you know, the angry mob, I don't know. I feel like they could have either not done it and that's their decision, or do it and stick by it. But then to just backtrack, it's just, I don't know, it's not a great look in my mind. Yeah, yeah. It would have been cool if they were like, Rip Curl announces they will only be sponsoring uh, 12 and under transgender people for now on. Like, that would have been <laughs> fucking powerful. Uh, it is so, like, I feel for them because they are doing, they are trying to do what they think is the right thing to do. Like, obviously, this is a divisive issue, as they said. But they're trying to do the thing that, one, obviously, it's always a brand decision. Like, it, it always comes down to what they think is going to be best for the brand in the long term. Um, but they're also probably trying to do what they think is the right thing on the side of, like, humanity. And they're trying to be inclusive, which is generally a good thing. But then to kind of just step back and yeah i don't know it's i understand it's like a really really tricky position for them to be in but i feel like they just had to, to call it one way or the other and now they're kind of playing both sides and i would imagine that the transgender community is now equally if not more upset with rip curl than the original people who were upset about the transgender post were so they've kind of isolated themselves from both sides of the argument and now they're just probably like what the hell do we do well maybe they just step out in general and the other two sides can fight and then they just kind of go a different lane so maybe that's the play you just like oh yeah it's like when you call two people at the same time and you get them to kind of talk and you just kind of dip out <laughs> okay maybe maybe they're playing a totally deeper game than i understood yeah yeah i don't know if i'm allowed to say it, but it's the thing you do it with chinese food sorry <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll keep an eye on this. I don't know if there's like much more to say on it, really. Like it just is what it is. Like people are going to feel how they feel about things like this. We've obviously discussed this topic 
kind of at length on this podcast, so you probably know how we feel about it. But yeah, it's just an interesting little news phenomenon that happened this week, and it seems like a lot of people are now upset. So I, I just wish I just wish that Rip Girl had like exclusive rights to making wetsuits. How funny would that be? <laughs> I would just love to test anybody who's pissed off about this. I would just love to see how far it would go. Like I wish nobody but Rip Curl could make wetsuits. So like, how sick would that be? Because, like, how can you get that mad? It's a fucking Instagram post. Have you seen the WSL's Instagram? I get more mad at that. Um, but I just wish that they had an exclusive right to make wetsuits so that people could really test their anger, their their position on this issue about uh, Rip Curl sharing a post about somebody who likes to serve. It's, wow. <laughs> like, what? What are we mad about? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the thing where it's like the, the political spectrum is not like a line. It's actually a circle. And the people at the far ends are actually like right next to one another and like <laughs> what they believe in just in like slightly different ways. <laughs> Somebody made a funny video about it. Um, but yeah, it's like in that case, you'd have uh, people that are more centrist all wearing wetsuits in the lineup. And then the people that are the far right and the far left both freezing their asses off. I think that'd be a very funny picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is surfing in 2024 folks well mikey last week we heard our final surf sin our original surf sin um but in the past seven calendar days we received one that we just felt like you had to hear so at the end of this episode we are going to get an encore surf sin and I'm going to say, I'm not going to rule out the idea of a few more Encore Surf Sins just throughout the course of this program. If you are sitting on something insane, we'll still play it. I'm just going to say that. It's just not going to be every week because we'll be retired running as shit ones and just being, oh, this guy, blah, 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 blah. So if you still have some gold, you'll work your way on this program. But don't come at us with the shit ones. We're going to get there. But before we get there, we are going to test our new segment, um, the WQS we revamped the tour for 2024 and we have reinstated you might have noticed the wsl went qualifying series we have got the world quiz series so the wqs is back and uh, our idea is pretty much just to call people who were dumb enough to give us their phone numbers and quiz them about surfing we're trying to get them i'd say ideally at inopportune times um which might mean that it's going to take a few people to try to get answers. Also means if you give us your number, be ready at all times because we're going to come for you. And um, it's a three-question thing. I would like to create a system where if you get all three right, you somehow qualify for some sort of challenger series. Maybe it's like <laughs> a live showdown at some point once we have a few that have won. But uh, yeah, if you go three for three, I think you should qualify for the challenger series. But for now, we got to get some people on the phone to answer some questions, so let's try it out. Yep, and if you get two out of three right, you pass the quiz, and you're going to get a prize of some sort. This is going to vary week by week, depending on what's going on in the STAB world, what sort of sponsors we have connected to this thing. So for this week, if you get our questions right, and again, this is only for STAB Premium members, but you're going to get your next year of STAB Premium for free, and you're also going to get one of Buck's wetsuits from Best Wetsuits 2024. That is correct. That is correct. And also, if you want to sponsor this thing, if you have like an Ayurvedic uh, breakfast bar company, give us a shout. We'll get it going. We're fucking like, right, let's, let's talk to Bailey Ladders. <laughs> let's get into the WQS. All right. Katie, welcome to the to the Stabs WQS. This is the World Quiz Series. 
Uh, brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> tell, us, tell us a bit about yourself, JD. What's going on? From South Africa originally, and we emigrated to Ireland about four years ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's about it. And how's Ireland treating you? Um, Ireland's great. Absolutely amazing. Surf's pretty pretty good, um, but there's a lot to it. A lot of driving around, and a lot of um, yeah, coming from SA. There was there were two winds. We got an east and a west, and you know you can drive up and down the coast and there'd be surf. But yeah, just every direction, wind, tide, just about everything plays parts. And you when you think there would be no waves, all of a sudden there are waves. So yeah, you got to put in the time and drive around. But I've got some good mates that have shown me around. Yeah. Great, great. You love a good Guinness or what? Two Guinness and a tequila. I'll be running down the street naked. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not much of a drinker. All right, all right. Are you much of a, a surf fan? Are you ready for some quizzing? We have three questions for you. Uh, it depends on how far back we're going. Um, we're gonna go, we give it a go. We're gonna go back pretty far. This first one. Okay. Well, let's, let's see if I, if I know anything. All right. This week on Stab, we had an interview with 51-year-old recently sponsored surfer named Brendan Margison, better known as Margo. About 12 years ago, Margo quit his original stint as a pro surfer and became what? A, an ecologist working with everything from legless lizards to microbats. B, the bin king. He gathered a garbage collection company that served the greater Gold Coast region. Or C, the fin king. He started an artisan fin company that he recently sold to Album, who in turn sponsored him to ride their boards. What do you got? Oh, fuck it. I'm going to go with the garbage man, because that, that means he can work early in the morning and go for a surf afterwards. Ooh, Mikey's here on the line too. Mikey, you want to tell him the right answer? Oh, I'm sorry, JD. Um, as much as it would have been really cool for him to be the big he actually became an ecologist. He was working with flora and fauna in Australia, um, and he became, yeah, just a lover of the land. But uh, he's back now as a pro surfer, which I think is good for everyone, and there's still hope for him to create a trash company down the line, I suppose. Oh, well, that's a nice brilliant But don't worry, you still got a shot. We, you have to go two for three. I mean, I think you'll get a wetsuit anyway, because... You need a suit, and I got one for you. Um, okay. But to get a free subscription, you're going to need to go two for three, so we got two more for you. Starting with, last week, we released episode one of this year's Stab in the Dark. Which board did Kolohe and Dino choose as Unlucky 13? We have A, the Simon Anderson, B, the Xanadu, and C, the Hayden Shapes. Jesus, I think it was the Xanadu, yeah? Ooh, that is correct. Xanadu well done, was the unlucky 13. Xanadu, if you don't know, is a Brazilian shaper who's been based out of San Diego for a while. He actually opened his first factory when he was 17, then kind of traveled the world shaping for himself, shaping for other people. Um, Kolohe wasn't really feeling the board, but you got the question right. And so now... Can I give him a bonus question? Ooh. Let's get to that. Let's see how he goes with, with this, this third one first. So, I guess if you're on Europe time over here, Pipe started last night, kicking off this year's WSL CT season. Which one of these surfers re-qualified through the Challenger Series last year, not the CT? We have A, Samuel Pupo, B, Rio Waida, and C, Kaio Belli. Who you got? Um, I'll go with Kaio. Ooh. 
that is incorrect. That was Samuel Pupo who got relegated to the CS and made it back that way. But I guess... Yeah, that was a tough one. Honestly, I wrote that one. I was like, fuck, I'm not sure if I'd get this right. (laughs) So I was proud of myself for writing it, to be honest. Anyway, bonus question. Mikey, you want to hit him with that? Yeah, let's let's go. So we're going back to Stab in the Dark. Um, We're going back to Unlucky 13, the Xanadu that you called out. So every year with Unlucky 13, we have uh, a mystery surfer come in and try that board to basically tell the actual Stab in the Dark star if they made a good call or a bad call. Kolohe was actually this person for Jack Robinson a couple years ago. Uh, So this year, Kolohe was filming in Indonesia, um, and he didn't ride the Xanadu. And we want to give you one chance to guess who did ride the Xanadu. And I'll give you a hint. He is also a recently qualified rookie to the CT from San Clemente. I actually, I heard you guys talking about a whole lot of names the other night, um, and I don't even remember offhand the names. So that, um, that's me. I'm out there. I'll tap out on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. You went one for three on our first ever stab world quiz series. So thanks for picking up the phone. And uh, you have a wetsuit on the way, I guess. I'll, I'll get that thing out to you. Oh, Jesus, you guys have made my day. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you, JD. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Good show. Thanks a lot, You too. What is next, Mikey? You already mentioned the Stab in the Dark, episode two, dropping on February 6th. Again, that's Chili, Channel Islands, JS, DHD, and Rusty. These are some hot matchups. I love I love the, the JS, the AHD, Gold Coast Showdown, so... We've got that coming. We have got a piece written by, is this Jed here? How did bodyboarders become the world's best cinematographers? Or is it Ali? That's correct. No, that's Jed. That's Jed. Jed Smith, Return to the Keys, punching that one out. You will see an interview I conducted with Leonardo Fioravanti this week on Sab Premium. We talked a lot after that Italian trip. He's a great guy. He's working with Adriano. Um bet on him this year they were underdogging him last year get that action when you can because he's fucking fit and he serves really good and he's good in all conditions and then we'll also have a post pipe breakdown once pipe actually breaks down it hasn't broken down yet it's still functioning so we'll get there yeah but for now it's going to be on to me and stace with a little breakdown of the first round of competition because it looks like we're going to have a few days off before we kick back in Mikey, thanks for having me on as a guest. It's great to be here. Stacey, you're not a guest. This is your home. Well, that's true, but it, we're kind of like, you know, tacking on to the end of uh, what was another huge week in surf news. But I guess contest season is back. So, yeah, you're right. It, it is it is our home. Yeah, we're only one day in, and it already feels like so much has happened. How good are good waves? Oh, makes a world of difference. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was a really fun day. I'd, I mean, I imagine it was an early start for you, but did you get to watch a lot of it? No, I was up at... It's not too bad. Like, when the waves are that good, getting up at four is fine. You know, the the, the sun's up early here. It's summer. It's it's not that... You know, not too different to getting up and going for an early surf. So, yeah. Great way to start the day, for sure. Wow, dawn patrolling the season. That's, um... Yeah, yeah. do you get up earlier for the WSL or for your own surfing? Uh, depends where I'm going. Um... <clears throat> They're both pretty early, I guess. 
All right, so I feel like we need to first and foremost just address the elephant in the room. Uh, Felipe Toledo put up 0.5 points in his first round and proceeded not to surf in the second round, citing a potential bout of food poisoning. But obviously there's so much history wrapped up in this that people can't help but speculate. What are your thoughts? Oh, man, I love Philippe. I think it's something I've always expressed on the, the show. Um, and I uh, I just don't even know what to make of this one because it's, um, you know, you and I talk about it a lot. He's When you watch him surf in the waves that suit him, there's there's no one like him. He's he's really, truly in his, um, in his own world. But in waves of consequence, he's yet to be proven, and, and this, doesn't, this doesn't help his cause. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I do feel like, you know, the internet can be a pretty horrible place sometimes, and he's certainly feeling the wrath of it right now. Uh, Emeo Zermak has jumped to his uh, defense by uh, posting a wave on his Instagram story of uh, Phil on a very sizable West Bowl at Chopes from, I think, 2018. Uh, you know, no caption or anything, just the photo, which is a great photo. But, uh, yeah. There's not a whole lot of history there with Philippe inside big left tubes, is there, Mikey? No, unfortunately not. And damn, I, uh, you know, I didn't quite match Felipe's five thousand dollar donation to Emeo. I, th- I think I threw in like a fifty or something like that. But I hope Emeo comes to my defense if the internet ever comes after me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you charge, so I think you should be fine there. I mean, unless you write something horrible, but yeah, <laughs> in the charging sense. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll do something in the near future to, to get myself in a little yep. pit fire. But anyway, um, yeah, it's tricky. Like So Felipe, like we said, he he doesn't have a good history in waves like this. I think he's made the quarters twice at Pipe in over 10 years on tour. And um, same at Chopes. And the only time he's ever done well at Chopes was the year when it was like two foot. And they were basically doing turns out there. And I don't know. Like It's like, how many times can you have the same conversation, right? It's almost like I just don't even really care anymore. Um, he's proven that he doesn't need these waves to win the way that the tour is set up. And that's not even a, a final five knock because people keep saying, oh, kill the final five. Felipe can't win, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, he can. He, he would have won the tour both years regardless of the final five situation. He went in number one. Um, so I don't know. It is, it, again, it's a weird feeling that somebody can be the world champion without really putting any effort in seemingly at, um, waves that most people would say are the waves that probably matter most, <laughs> but yeah, he's just, he's so good at everything else he does. And I still, there's still a part of me that like has hope. Cause I know that he has the ability to do so. And like, there has to be some sort of hunger within to, if nothing else, quiet, the the voices around but as of yet it hasn't happened and yet also like food poisoning can fuck you up i had food poisoning like a few weeks ago and i definitely wouldn't have wanted to surf pipeline but i also probably would have if that was my job so i don't know that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah i know it is a funny one <laughs> i think i go through all of those same like thought patterns like oh well i wouldn't do it so he doesn't have to either but then I'm like well that's not my job and he's not doing what I'm doing. So yeah, that doesn't really make sense, does it? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's Felipe. He's obviously out. They do get one event dropped in the first five. So I take it this will be his and then he'll probably come back and win sunset. So that's just the way surfing works. Uh, Moving on, we we obviously had two rounds of competition, the opening round, non-elimination, and then we we lost a few surfers. Uh, 
We talked about the rookies a lot leading into this event. Four out of five of them have survived the elimination round. Uh, the only one who fell out was Cole Hauschman, who actually was looking pretty good out at pipe, um, just kind of had a bit of luck not go his way. We saw Cade Matson go over the falls in the first heat of the season on like just one of the sketchiest looking back door waves, just taking off on the absolute apex. Uh, any other rookie standouts or, or things that you noticed in that front? Um, I mean, only the fact that none of them looked too intimidated when it was a really intimidating day um, at Backdoor Pipeline. Like, as you kind of saw from all those aerial shots, there was definitely two swells in the water. So it wasn't that, like, classic day where you could just kind of sit on the spot to go left and, and, and wait for the biggest, ugliest waves. There were some really good rights. There was obviously heaps of good pipe waves, um, you know, Griffin got a wave that was kind of similar to Cade's where he was like right on the apex, but then it also ran off as well. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, pipeline's never perfect. It looks perfect in photos, but that opening day was definitely really challenging. So I was actually really impressed with how all the rookies went. Like, even though, you know, none of them put up crazy big scores, um, they all look like they wanted to be out there, which, you know, isn't the case for everyone. Yeah. So another big moment was, at least in sort of the internet's mind, Gabriel Medina using his priority to take a wave off of Callum Robson. Callum was significantly deeper, what some would call in the perfect spot. Medina more on the shoulder. I'm a bit torn here. Uh, I kind of don't see the point in him blocking Callum in this sort of situation. It's like a three-man heat. Uh, It's non-elimination. Do you think Medina was actually trying to block him, or he just thought he was in the spot? Um, no, I actually think it kind of looked like he was getting too clever for his own good. I think he thought he was in like a man on man quarter or something and he didn't want Callum to like keep building rhythm, which is what Callum was doing. So in one sense, I get it. You do want to stop that surfer from getting rhythm because he actually, I actually think it's unfair that, you know, we haven't brought this up in a while, but Gabriel retained priority, which I think is so unfair. (laughs) Um... So in that sense, he did block Callum's rhythm, but like you said, it's a three-man heat opening round. He Gabriel missed the next best wave, and then it fucked his rhythm anyway because Callum got that nine. So it, you know he kind of got a little bit of karma there, and yeah, it was definitely an unnecessary move. And Gabe hadn't had a wave until that point, so he was kind of probably getting edgy. He's probably sick of watching this guy ride a ton of waves, and he went, "No, nah, I'm I'm going to take this one and just slow you down," and it definitely slowed Callum down. It sent him the long way round. It took him ages to get back out after that. Oh, you would have been so annoyed. I mean, what what do you think? Do you think it's like a pure tactic or is it is it a brain fade? I don't know. Like, obviously, he has a history of doing that at this very wave. The, the last one with Kyle was way more blatant. And the only reason why I think that it might have been that as opposed to he just he's just too good out at pipe to drop in on a wave like that and not get barreled. You know what I mean? To like be that far on the shoulder and not know that. Um but just, yeah, like I said before, all the all the signs point to, like, it doesn't really make sense for him to do it. But then who knows? Because last year, he had a competitive year that was far below his bar of acceptability. So maybe this year, he's trying to bring a bit of the mongrel back because um, he was kind of the nice guy last year and it didn't really pay off for him. So maybe this is like a bit of a a warning shot to the rest of the tour. Like, hey, nice Gabby's gone. <laughs> We're back to the Terminator mode. Yeah, but then, like, he's getting grammed. Like, John's putting up videos of those two surfing together and shit. Like, fuck. Not what I want to see. 
Um, John John did what John John did out there, uh, or what you'd expect him to do. Right behind him, though, Jake Marshall had a, a sneaky good heat. I was really impressed by that. Jake's been out on the North Shore for a while this winter, getting really good waves. Um, so it's cool to see him developing in waves like that because you don't necessarily think of him in waves like that, but he's proving that he's not just capable, but uh, also willing and excited to do so. Um, moving into now the elimination round, we did lose a few surfers from this event. So obviously Felipe not surfing his heat. We talked earlier about Cole Hauschmann. He is the sole rookie who lost out. We also lost Kyoe Belly, which was a bit of a surprise to me. He's really good out there. He just didn't quite find the rhythm. And Rio Wida, who looked a bit lost. Yeah, Kyo getting getting bumped out of the draw that early is a massive surprise. Like he's last two outings at pipeline of he's got two thirds. So, you know, he's like a really, really kind of the biggest shock of that round, I think for him to be losing that early. Um, so we'll have to yeah see how he re- regroups up at sunset. And then, yeah, bummer to see Rio go out, but I think, uh, no, last year he got ninth at pipeline, didn't he? He, uh, he did have one, 33rd and that was at West Oz just before the cut which he managed to sneak through on so yeah like you said everyone's allowed to drop one but ideally you, you don't want it to be the first event because now he's going to have to go kind of four from four for the for the rest of the uh, events on the on the first half of the year but anyway um looking at the forecast we have I don't think they're going to run um I don't think they're going to run Friday I don't think they're going to run Saturday Sunday there's some potential the winds start to clock around good the only problem is there's a big northeast swell in the water that's sort of washing over the top of a northwest swell. What are you thinking, Stacy? I am seeing a really short period, quite large northeast swell, which we saw what it was doing the other day to the lineup, crossing it up, and that was when the west-northwest was more dominant. This swell, I mean, the period's shorter, but there's going to be a lot of disturbance in the lineup. I'm not too excited about the forecast for the rest of this event, Mikey. Well, it gets better on Monday, though. Monday looks like, I mean, the the northwest definitely takes precedence. The northeast swell starts to fade, um, and that transition sort of carries into Tuesday and Wednesday. I actually think that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're probably going to polish this thing off. Um, We haven't seen the women run yet, and Looking at the forecast, I'm not sure which is going to be like the best day to kick them off because Monday looks like it's going to be pretty massive. We're looking at like 7.2 feet at 16 seconds of northwest swell. I would imagine they'd probably try to go through two more rounds of the men then and then bring the women in on Tuesday to kick off and then probably wrap the whole thing on Wednesday when it's a bit smaller but still very, very contestable, significantly better than anything still that we saw last year. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, and I don't know. Obviously, it's Hawaii. You never really know until you wake up. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm saying Monday to Wednesday they're going to wrap this thing. And then on the gamble side, so we still have the women's first round to go, as I said. My big bets there, I, I went for Sally. I went for Moana, Katie, and Molly. Uh, I hope some of the pod listeners went for that Jackson Bunch bet that I brought up last week because you would have also shared in the joy with me of winning one. Um, And then on the men's side, there's a couple really good heats. Um, There's a couple heats that you'd like to say are a sure thing in Baron Mamiya over Federico Moraes at Good Pipeline and also John Florence over David Silva. 
Naturally, the odds are not great there, so you have to spend a decent chunk of money to make some back. That's up to you if you want to go that route. Um, and yeah, any other heats, Stacy, that you're really looking forward to here on uh, whether it's on BetOnline.ig or just for the casual viewer? Whew, definitely, Mikey. It's pretty hard to go past Heat One. Ethan Ewing v. Kelly mm. Slater. Uh, Ethan, obviously improving out of sight out there in the last couple of years and even in places like Tahiti. So, you know, his his trajectory's probably been a little, you know, probably slower than, say, like a Griffin or, you know, obviously like a Jack Robinson. But he's certainly competitive. Like, he, he, he can hold his own against anyone out there in these spots now. And uh, that is a heat to me that's, like, going to be really, really entertaining because Ethan's got mongrel in him. Like after after last year, he's fired up. Yeah, I agree, and I also think that Kelly looked insanely good in his last heat. He was getting such low scores for like the craziest waves. That first right that he got was one of the best like knifing drops of the day, and he didn't, I guess, get that deep, so that he got a four. But I was just like, if I got that wave and that was a four, I would be. I don't know. I would have been pretty pissed if I was Kelly, actually, in that heat. Like, I don't think he won that heat, per se, but, God, he was getting crazy waves, and his technique and approach out there is still just at such an incredibly high level. So uh, I agree that's going to be a really good heat to watch. I also like uh, Gabriel Medina versus Crosby Colapinto. I think Crosby could really surprise some people here. Um, I mean, Gabe's obviously the favorite, but Crosby too, especially if it's big, like he can go out there and do something really crazy and really scary and put up some big scores. And uh, yeah, there's another one down here too that is kind of too, there's no real big, big names in this one, but I really like Eli Hanneman versus Matt McGillivray. I think that's a really solid matchup out there. Uh, Matt is obviously fearless. Eli is Hawaiian and has spent so much time out at pipe. I think that's going to be a bit of a shootout. There's, there's heaps of good heats in this round. Yago Dora v. J- Jacob Wilcox, that's going to be sensational. And then Griffin Colapinto, no doubt the favorite, but up against local wildcard Sheon Crawford, that is going to be a smoker as well. There's so much entertainment in this oh. next round. Just I hope it's pumping, God. It's been so good. Just that first day, I was so excited, man. How good is it just having like a the comp on in the background and you're just working away at whatever else you're doing? Like it's just the best way to spend the day. It is. It's so good. Yep, it, it really is. And it just goes to show, like we all work in the you know in the industry and we have a lot to thank for good waves. It, that's it's we can come up with good ideas and we can come up with great things that we think are cool but if it's pumping it just fucking solves every problem <laughs> it does all right so if you want to get uh my full picks for betonline.ag uh you can go and find them on the site soon and yeah like i said could start sunday i'm thinking monday and i think we should be straight through in some very good pipeline conditions so uh stacy anything else before we go sure why not Conor o'leary v jackson bunch that's going to be another great heat too mikey stop Ooh. it I know. I made some, like, contradictory votes to my first round um, because I, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to mix things up and make sure we stay fresh. So, yeah, go check them out. No, and that's why I made you get up this morning at 4 o'clock to share this conversation with me as I sit inside the car outside Urban Surf because I'm about to run in for a 10 o'clock surf. (laughs) But we had to have this chat because there's going to be 10 p.m. surf, that is. Uh, 
few lay days, crew are going to have their chance to, you know, rejig their lineups. And um, I think it's your God-given right to do so. All right. Thanks, Stacey. See you, Mikey. Right, you couple of homo uh, American small people, one-eyed motherfuckers. Uh, I've got one last surf sin. You can't end your surf sins, mate. These surf sins are so important to your listeners. You can't stop them now, but I'm going to give you the fucking old surf sin. So this, uh, you know, obviously I'm English. I moved here, uh, fuck. 20 years ago. And I started learning to surf on a hit Margaret River, which would be 19 and a half years ago. And uh, probably about seven and a quarter years ago, I went up my first trip to Red Bluff. Oh, fuck. Bleep that out. I fucking... Sorry. Went up north. My first trip. And uh, I went to this amazing left-hander. I camped there for two weeks. Everything was all good. La, 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 la. And, uh, you know, I wasn't an amazing surfer, but I was pretty gung-ho. And basically, there's a few sections you can take off on. And I decided that this section I was going to sit on, because I was a complete kook, uh, was this end section and try and take off and imagine getting barreled. And, uh, yeah, uh, this guy takes off deep, fucking, yeah, yeah, I look, I swear he's just gone over the falls and I take off and there he is. And I dropped in on someone, obviously, and this all went horribly wrong. And this guy actually happened to be a teacher who would fly in for three months a year to this certain camp, with this certain family to teach all their kids and this one way that they only really have on the doorstep. And I've just dropped in on him and he actually said to me that was the best way of his life and I completely ruined it. And every time I saw him for the remaining, fuck, five days, he would just look at me in disgust. So that's my surf sin. My penance would be fucking extreme, like the best wave of his life. And he'd bear in mind he's lived in the desert for like three years, for th- fucking three to six months, I don't know. Like he has surfed that wave a shit ton, and I've ruined the best wave of his life there. Can you imagine? Huh. Anyway, penance, please, boys. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you enjoyed this segment and this world quiz series, well, I hope so, because we're going to be doing a lot more in the near future. Um, And as always, we'll be back next Friday with another episode, and Stace and I will wrap up Pipe whenever that happens. So there's a lot more to look forward to and a lot of good surfing to come over and out.